Good evening, everyone. It's good to be here. Um, it's lovely and warm as well. I, I, at the moment, our central heating's off because we've got a leak, so I may just keep preaching because <laughs> it's nice warm here. Uh, my name's Glenn. Uh, Jan and I worship with uh, Livingston uh, Congregation and sometimes here early Sunday mornings as well and Sunday nights. Um, yeah, it's been a blessing just to be here tonight and, you know, God inhabits the worship of his people uh, by his spirit and that's what's been going on tonight, isn't it? So we continue with 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. One sentence. How can one sentence be so challenging? That's the Bible for you. The more we zoom in, and it's great that we're doing a little chunk of scripture at a time because it helps us to memorize it, doesn't it? And gets it into our mind and that means the Holy Spirit can take it and apply it to our hearts and lives. But as we zoom in, the more we realize that we can't do any of this without the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. St. Mungo's vision. Here in my Bible, uh, this sits in my desk. I think this little thing's great. Everywhere you turn it, uh, it reminds me, it commands me to be love. Uh, and the only way we can do that is by opening up God's word in the company of his spirit. Both always, as our vision uh, says, love is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And these verses that we're looking at tonight are what that love looks like in action. They're action words, they're verbs. And so we pray tonight, Lord, come, Holy Spirit, as we open your living word, we trust you to change us and make us more like our dear Savior, Jesus. We come to you with open hearts. Show us where we need to repent and change our ways and help us to faithfully share with others the grace and love which you have shared with us. Amen. I've done a fair few weddings over uh, the years and this passage has been read at many of them. Um, maybe it was read at your wedding and why not? Because it's, it's beautiful. It's not written specifically for married couples, but you can see why people choose it. Whether they are followers of Jesus or not, people love these words because they recognize that any marriage that can put into practice this beautiful description of sacrificial love will be a good one. Passage isn't written to a married couple. Um, but as Ollie was reminding us early this evening, uh, God's word is written to a bride, isn't it? It's written to the church, the bride of Christ. And that's not just the church in Corinth 2,000 years ago. It's also uh, St. Mungo's, Balerno and Livingston in 2023, in the year of our Lord. It's you and me. Jesus 
the bridegroom is coming back for his bride. And we, the Scottish bride, have to dress ourselves accordingly for the occasion in the love of Christ. We have to get ourselves ready. That's what Paul is doing with this church. And the Bible is packed full of examples of people who did this well. And we're going to look at four of them uh, tonight. Mary and Joseph, because they're not just for Christmas. We can learn from them all year round. The Apostle Paul, the author of this letter, and Jesus, the perfect example of the sacrificial love of God. Mary was not self-seeking, and Joseph did not dishonor his wife. Paul was provoked endlessly by the Corinthian church, but he did not easily anger with them. And Jesus, the personification of love, well, he keeps no record of wrongs. So let's start with Mary, ladies first. Love is not self-seeking. Why Mary? Why was Mary given the high privilege of being the mother of God's one and only son, Jesus? The angel Gabriel told us she'd found favor with God, but he doesn't explain why. We discover the why in Mary's prayer response to Gabriel. She said, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Given her extreme vulnerability, this is one of the most selfless prayers ever prayed. Eugene Peterson points out that her son Jesus, in his own moment of vulnerability in the Garden of Gethsemane, essentially prayed the same prayer Jesus prayed to his father, not my will, but yours be done. It's the same prayer. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Not my will, but yours be done. This is why Mary was chosen to be Jesus' mum. She was selfless. She was a young woman full of humility. And she loved the Lord. It poured out of her in worship in the Magnificat, Mary's song, where she sings, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Mary was not coerced into this decision. She was free to say yes or no. I just love that Gabriel was sent to Mary first. God recognized this young woman as a free person in her own right. Betrothed to Joseph, the male-dominated culture of the day would have given this yes or no to him and not her. But in God's sight, this was Mary's decision. Her questions were taken seriously and her answers respectfully waited on. Bernard of Clairvaux puts it like this. 
After the error of our first parents, the whole world was shrouded in darkness under the dominion of death. Now God seeks to enter the world anew. He knocks on Mary's door. He needs human freedom. The only way he can redeem man who was created free is by means of a free yes to his will. I like this picture of heaven and earth waiting expectantly for Mary's answer. Now, Mary wasn't perfect, but we have a lot to learn from her. She was a humble, passionate worshiper of God, and she was open to the Holy Spirit's work in her life. And in that sense, she is the archetypal Christian. Showing us how to say yes to God's Spirit who comes to birth the new life of heaven in our earthly lives. We are each free to yield to the Spirit or or resist the Spirit. Heaven respectfully waits for our answer. So how do we go about saying yes to Jesus? Well, Mary liked to treasure things in her heart, didn't she? We, we know that from Scripture when Jesus was 12 and what went on then. Mary treasured it all up in her heart. She was a thoughtful, reflective woman. And one simple way we can emulate her openness to God's Spirit is by treasuring her prayer in our hearts. I'm just going to take a moment to pray Mary's prayer. Lord, you know each of our situations. You know where we are vulnerable, like Mary, to being misunderstood and mistreated. We trust you to watch over us like you did with Mary. We are challenged by our humble and worshipping heart. And like Mary, we want to say yes to your spirit, birthing the love of Jesus in our lives. Whatever that costs us, doing what you, whatever you call us to do, we pray, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you say. It's good to get that prayer into us. Shall we say that together? I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you say. Try it out in your daily life and see where that takes you. Then there's Joseph. Love does not dishonor others. Once Mary said yes, Joseph had a decision to make. He naturally but wrongly assumed that Mary had been unfaithful to him. Matthew's gospel tells us because Joseph, our husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. In the words of 1 Corinthians, Joseph didn't want to dishonor Mary. He loved her. In his mind, he had been deeply wronged, and yet his concern was still for Mary, a young woman who was now in danger of rejection and condemnation from her community. 
I think these are the moments in our lives when God watches us closely to see what we're going to do. How do we react when in our eyes we've been wronged? How do we treat the other person? Do we show mercy or do we exact our revenge? In my experience, when I make assumptions about people, I'm wrong more often than I'm right. I don't even get to 50-50. And even when I do turn out to be right, what is it that God expects of me? The prophet Micah answers that question. We have to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. And I think these words sum up Joseph to a T. Because Joseph's actions were guided by God's word. And that meant his heart was open to God's correction. He had in mind one thing, but through an angel in a dream, God said, don't do that. Instead, do this. Take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That's what Joseph did. He honored Mary by making a safe and secure home for his young wife, the pregnant mother of the Son of God, Jesus, the one who came to save his people from their sins. Joseph had in mind one thing, but what God had in mind was fantastically, infinitely, world-changingly better. Mary said yes to God's will, and Joseph honored her yes and said amen too. We've been singing it tonight, haven't we? I will make room for you. Your way is better than mine. So when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave the name Jesus. Joseph is such a good example to us. He had a high ethic in every area of his life in terms of justice, in terms of rightness, in terms of mercy, in terms of sexual ethics as well. He had a high ethic. That's what God expects of his followers. He doesn't call his followers to impose their ethics on others. He calls his followers to be a counter example, counter witness in the culture we live in to a different way. He had a high ethic based on God's word. But his understanding and application of God's word was also open to God's correction. Because none of us are perfect, are we? None of us get it right all the time. He was just a man to nurture and care for Jesus as he grew up. So here's a question from Joseph for us. What do you currently have in mind? What do you currently have in mind? Perhaps in relation to someone or some situation where you think you've been wronged. What do you have in mind? 
And are you open or shut to God's redirection? Why not take a leaf out of Joseph's book? Joseph did something really wise. He slept on his decision. And by the time he woke up, it had been made clear to him that he should take a different approach. So uh, this is uh, my takeaway homework for you uh, tonight. Whatever you have in mind, sleep on it. And before you go to sleep, tell the Lord what you have in mind to do in relation to a dilemma you have. And ask him to show you what he has in mind for you to do. And sleep on it. In the morning, whatever you feel prompted to do, make sure it rings true with God's word. And then get up and follow God's direction. So here's a bedtime prayer you can use. Lord, as I lay down to sleep, this is what I have in mind to do. But Holy Spirit, what do you have in mind? I am open to your redirection. Show me what it means in this situation to act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with you, my God. Amen. Paul also says, love is not easily angered. This sentence doesn't get any easier as we go along. Paul is a great example for us to follow here because he's the classic before and after guy. Before he met the risen Lord Jesus, he was Mr. Angry. He was fuming at the Christians, breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, as it says in Acts 9, taking them prisoner and throwing them in jail. After he met the risen Lord Jesus, he wrote in this letter one of the most beautiful descriptions of sacrificial love the world has ever heard or read. He went from hating the church with a passion to loving the church with a passion. What changed him? Or better to ask, who changed him? Jesus. He was confronted by the risen Jesus Christ, the head of the church, Saul, was persecuting. Now, it's not always wrong to get angry. There are times where we should get angry. I think Jesus was angry with Saul on the Damascus Road at what he was doing to his people. There were no niceties in that confrontation. Just a challenge. Why are you doing this, Saul? Why are you persecuting me? It is right for us to challenge injustice wherever we see it. Jesus put a stop to Paul's bad behavior and sent poor Ananias to pray for him. I love Ananias' prayer. What a gracious man. Brother Saul, he starts. 
the man who'd been killing and uh, imprisoning Ananias' friends, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, Paul was changed. The scales fell off his eyes. He was baptized. He ate some food and started to preach that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, he wasn't suddenly perfect. Paul tells us that as he goes on in his letters. But his anger was now subject to the authority of Jesus and the Holy Spirit got to work transforming him from the inside out. All because Ananias had the courage to follow the Lord's instruction to go and pray for this man. It's one of the things I love about St. Mungo's. We pray for each other. And God changes us for the better. That's what we've been doing tonight. That's what happens at uh, Spirit Cafe. That's what happens at, in our church services. That's what happens when we have the courage to follow God's direction wherever we are and whoever we encounter. A few months ago, a, a good friend of ours, John Williams, died prematurely. He was only 50. When he was younger, uh, in the town we lived in, uh, Linlithgow over the hill, he was an angry, violent young man, addicted to drugs, someone you would cross the street from. But after Jesus transformed his life, he became the most gentle and kind and gracious person. He was in and out of Salton Prison. Uh, but encountered Jesus on his own in his prison cell with a little New Testament. And he was saved. When he came out, he came to our Alpha course over at St. John's. And God started to change his life slowly. He still had to put up with uh, the effects and outcomes of the way he'd lived his life earlier. But gradually he got on his feet. He went to university, got a social work degree, uh, he had his ups and downs, but he was the most transformed man that, that I've ever known. All because Jesus, all because Jesus came into his life and started to transform him by the power of his spirit. We see the change in Paul and his back and forth relationship with the church in Corinth. It's great that we have these two letters. But it's a shame we don't have their letters to him because they did exist. And I think they'd be fascinating reading for us today. The Corinthians were all over the place, competing over the gifts of the Spirit, abusing the Lord's Supper. Their worship was chaotic. They looked down on Paul's teaching and they had absolutely zero sexual ethics. Paul, of course, knew how to fight his corner robustly. That was a gift from God, and it's not something God took off him. But he wasn't easily angered by them, because he had changed. These two letters are full of a true love, which doesn't indulge bad behavior, and yet always protects, always trusts. 
always hopes, always perseveres. Paul was in it for the long haul with the churches he planted. He loved them, he taught them, he challenged them, he cared for them, and he prayed for them. He loved these churches because Jesus loved these churches. Anger is a difficult thing. Losing our temper is a difficult thing. We can easily become addicted uh, to these things. Uh, One book that I'd recommend as a help for getting anger under control, if that's something you struggle with, overcoming unresolved resentment, overwhelming emotions, the lies behind anger. If you need help with that, come and see me after this and you can have this book. It's an excellent book. It's full of practical advice about how we can invite God's Spirit to change our lives. It's written by uh, Neil Anderson, the guy who um, began Steps to Freedom in Christ. We also have our wellness center which you can contact through uh, the church website where you can get accredited Christian counseling to help you with these things. These are good tools to have. Uh, But first and foremost, um, Paul's antidote, antidote to his anger was to do what Jesus instructed him to do in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what Jesus says. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Paul did this with all sorts of people who were out to get him. We've seen in recent days how difficult it is to love our enemies. The killing of innocent and vulnerable children and adults on both sides of the conflict between Israel and Hamas can't be the right solution. How can justice and mercy be held together in such a situation? There are no easy answers to that. But as followers of Jesus, we do know a place where justice and mercy meet. And it is at the foot of the cross. And that's a place where love keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus, the human personification of love, keeps no record of wrongs. And thank you, God, for that. And he calls us to do the same Neil Anderson, who wrote that book, says this, when you forgive someone, it is the most Christ-like thing you will ever do. Jesus was crucified between two criminals. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus came to be in the midst of our mess to be with the people that need saved. You know, we like to keep records of the wrongs people have done to us. I do that. That's the kind of thing that goes on in my heart. And it's not good for me. 
I guess that's part of what is going on in Israel and Gaza on a much bigger scale and a more complex scale. To help me forgive, one of my devotional practices is in my prayer life to take people to the cross with me in prayer. I do that because it is at the cross where the slate is wiped clean by the blood of Jesus. My guilt is borne by Jesus. I receive his forgiveness and I am compelled by his love to forgive the person or the people I have taken with me to the cross. Jesus won't allow anything less of his followers. I used to be the pastor of St. John's uh, Church in Linlithgow. And um, once or twice, uh, I got to the point where I, I was ready to stop. Uh, and one morning, I, was, uh, I had said to God in my prayer time, like, if you don't speak to me before I get to the office, which is about five minutes away, uh, I'm done. Uh, and I walked out the front door, around the bend, and I hadn't got 50 yards till I met a woman called Margaret. Um, she was part of uh, St. John's Church, a lovely lady. Uh, she was a cleaner, and she, was, she cleaned some of the houses in our area. And we usually stopped for a chat, and she said, you know what, Glenn? Um, I'm so glad God's given me the job that he's given me. I'm just so grateful for it, for it and I thank him for it every day. And that was me told uh, before I got to the end of the street. Not to be ungrateful and, and to be thankful. Another time I was coming home from the church office on Lithgow High Street and uh, I was saying the same thing to God. And uh, I always passed the, the garden of, of a friend, David Hunter. Uh, we we, we um, helped in a, a Monday night youth club in Linlithgow. Uh, there were over 100 kids in the church hall at St. Michael's. And uh, sometimes the church hall didn't uh, come out too well after those evenings. Mm -hmm. And David was such a lovely Christian because he would go down the following morning and fix all the stuff so that the youth club was still allowed to meet uh, in the church. Anyway, I was passing him uh, and he was hanging over his wall. He loved his garden. Uh, and without prompt, he, he looked at me and he said, Glenn, um, don't be hard uh, on, your, on your church people uh, because they turn up to hear you preach every week. So don't be hard with them and don't judge them. God was speaking to me through both of these people. Jesus won't allow us to hold on to unforgiveness. And that's why he taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In Paul's words, love keeps no record of wrongs. This passage in 1 Corinthians 13 is about love in action. And I'd like to finish uh, with an opportunity, uh, an action opportunity to just bring ourselves and whoever God has placed in our mind this evening to the cross to have our slates 
wiped clean. Just invite the, the worship team uh, to join me. Uh, so we've got a cross here, uh, and there's absolutely no pressure. This is just between you and the Lord Jesus. But as we worship together, you're welcome to uh, join me here at the cross to receive the Lord's forgiveness in order to go out from here and share it with whoever God places on your heart. Or perhaps you just want to come here uh, and pray for the situation in Israel and Palestine. The cross is the exact place for us to do that too. So I'm just going to pray, and then the worship team will lead us in worship. And if you want to, just join me here at the cross. It's just between you and Jesus. No one will come up to you. It's just between you and the Lord. Come to the cross. Receive his forgiveness. And go out from here to share it with others. Lord, so often we just don't know what we're doing. We come to the foot of your cross to have our slate wiped clean. Forgive us, Lord, for our sin. Wash us clean by the power of your blood and set us free from the damage unforgiveness does to ourselves and the people in our hearts. We pray for the people of Israel that you will watch over them and protect them. Set the captives free, unharmed, Lord, we pray. We pray also for the people of Gaza, 50% of them under 18, that they will receive the help they need. We ask that you will raise up peacemakers to bring an end to this conflict and a way forward for both Israel and the people of Gaza. Amen.